This is an AMI podcast. Step outdoors without fear and gain a sense of independence with tips, interviews, and information from blind outdoors enthusiast Lawrence Gunther. I love skiing. Every time I do it, I have this sense of accomplishment. Yeah, I, I don't see what's in front of me. Real stories, alternative lifestyles. As long as you can put one foot in front of the other or, or one hand in front of the other, you can, you can make your way up. Outdoors with Lawrence Gunther, Friday at 8 p.m. Eastern on AMI-audio. I'm Joyda Gupta, and this is The Pulse. It was January 26, 2001. The time was approximately 8.45 in the morning. I still lived in India. I was home when it happened. I felt a large tremor that shook the walls and furniture. I shot up, tore out of the house with nothing more than the clothes on my back. I'm describing the January 26th quote-unquote Republic Day earthquake that took place in the Indian state of Gujarat on the Pakistan border. It left behind a trail of devastation. Thousands lost their lives. The recovery efforts would take years. I've long since thought back to that moment. When faced with an emergency, I had been woefully underprepared. Today, we discuss disability and emergency preparedness. It's time to put your finger on the pulse. Hello and welcome to The Pulse on AMI-audio. My name is Javita Gupta and I'm the host of the program. As I like to say off the top of every show, I hope that everyone is staying safe. I know those COVID numbers are climbing across the country and it can be pretty anxiety-inducing for a lot of us. So I hope you're taking some time to um, stay, of course, stay in the loop and stay informed, but also taking some time to unplug, to recharge, to try and keep up those connections with your friends and family, not to get socially isolated, even as we socially distance or physically distance. I just hope that everyone is staying safe and, you know, keeping together in a sense of community and a spirit of community as we weather this pandemic together. And the pandemic really brings to mind emergencies. It's a, a, a bit of a long-term emergency in that we're all, all having to shelter uh, at home in many parts of the country. We're all really having to think about a crisis, uh, whether it's a crisis of healthcare, whether it's crises in education, there's so many things that are happening. I think it's really brought to the forefront this idea that emergency planning isn't just something that other people do, it's something that we all need to do. And today I'm really pleased to welcome to the program Ness Murby, who is not a stranger to The Pulse because Ness is a Paralympian, he's blind, and has been a guest on The Pulse before uh, in a different capacity. But today, Ness is joining us to talk about a new AMI audio video series called about emergency preparedness that is going to shed some light on how best to prepare for an emergency, because I think you can always prepare for an emergency. Hi, Ness. Welcome to The Pulse, or I should say welcome back. How are you? Good, thanks. Great to be back on with you. It's great to have you. Let's talk a little bit about emergency preparedness. But before we go there, what would you say counts as an emergency? So what are the kinds of things that we're talking about? Basically, emergencies are, you know, cover a wide variety. What we focus on in the, the series is um, 
anything from power outages to avalanches, from tsunamis um, to uh, earthquakes and uh, floods. We're trying to cover a, a plethora of, of emergencies that, that one might face to really lay, um, lay down a foundation for, to get the conversation started so that we can really be building upon as individuals and individuals within the blind and partially sighted community um, to be creating some sort of a, a plan and a conversation for ourselves to feel more empowered and ready. So what you're really describing there are these so-called acts of God um, that a lot of people describe floods and fire. Uh, and the common perception is that these things, the floods, the fires, the earthquakes are outside of our control, which of course they are. So in light of that, why is it so important to prepare for these emergencies? We don't know when they're going to happen. We know that when they do happen, it turns things upside down, to say the least. So why is it important to prepare? It's really important, as you say, these are things that are outside of our control and we don't know um, how, where, when they're going to occur. And so that creates a, a situation of um, sometimes uh, an anxiety, a uh, uh, a panic in the moment and really what we're saying is you're being faced with something that's outside of your comfort zone and if you don't have these um, these preparations, these plans in place or at least have, have thought about your options, it's going to be a lot harder to, to come up with an action and a response to these sorts of emergencies in the moment at the time. Mm-hmm. I know I'm given to panic panicking at the best of times, let alone during an emergency. (laughs) Uh, You know, a few minutes ago, you mentioned that people who are blind or partially sighted need to be having a conversation about emergency preparedness. This is so important because the perception, again, when we think about people with disabilities, not just people who are blind, is that people with disabilities are really vulnerable during an emergency and that they're also kind of, dare I say it, helpless? What do you say? Yeah, I think... um... Often when we look at the, the, the stereotype assumptions that are applied to the word disabled and, and individuals with a disability, certainly a lot of um, the conversation tends towards a helplessness when mm-hmm. in reality, I think there's a lot of um, uh, uh, empowerment and, and um, self-reliance that we can draw upon that perhaps um, those outside of the disabled community haven't had to consider this idea mm-hmm. of meeting an, an, an obstacle or um, a, um, a difficulty and needing to, to think um, and, and uh, determine a way around it. So almost in, um, in terms of an emergency, I kind of want to look at it as we may have a bit of a superpower in the sense of open-mindedness and, and less rigidity so that we can actually determine a plan. And in terms of actual... Um, individuality and and, and disability itself, I think it's paramount that we start opening up the conversation because the the natural course of of, um, uh, emergency, anxiety and and reactivity tends to mean that um, we we all go inwards. um, And I mean all as in every every person. And so when we're faced with that um, as an individual with a disability, we need to be a little bit more self-sufficient and self-reliant and and ready with our personal take on it because mm-hmm. we're going to need to to approach this in a way that looks out for ourselves. It, it's not about an, an intentionality or a lack of, of um, malevolent uh, care. It's, it's sort of um, uh, a, a notion that 
of course, the fight and flight response. And that tends Mm -hmm. to be a self-focused. And when it comes to people with disabilities, I think we have a, a great take on different situations of looking at them differently. Certainly being blind and thinking about a power outage, uh, thinking about um, earthquakes and and how the, the vibrations and the feel of that is going to send information um, to myself and, and, and others within this community. It's, it's something that we can leverage. And it's also something that we don't often, I think, you know, I, I say we as I speak for everyone, but, you know, in mm. my opinion, I don't think we as a community have have had the opportunity to to talk about it. No, we haven't. It's true. In fact, we often don't talk about emergency planning. And when we do, uh, it tends to be very catastrophic conversations. Uh, A lot of what I've heard is, you know, people with disabilities, people who are blind, not being taken into account in a lot of disability planning at all. Like, you know, we get left out of that Mm -hmm. conversation. I'm hearing it a lot in the context of the pandemic. You know, we've just not taken people with disabilities into the conversation about the pandemic response, for instance. I want us to I want to sort of shift the conversation. So if the disability community or the blind and partially sighted community needs to have a conversation about emergency preparedness, does that conversation also encompass first responders? Does that conversation also encompass uh, governments who might make plans to respond to emergencies like wildfires or earthquakes? How do we factor disability into those larger conversations? Phenomenal. That's exactly where I'm coming from. I think, yes, we need to be having um, these conversations with um, uh, such entities and and, and governmental organizations who enforce the plans that that they're coming up with. And certainly um, taking into consideration what individuals will need um, to be at their, let's say, optimum uh, when faced with an emergency. So this, this notion of, um, I feel that sometimes it, it's within the blind community that it's dealt with in a way of, oh, well, you need to make sure that you just have a designated buddy and that person mm-hmm. will, um, will take on the responsibilities. And this isn't just about an accountability and responsibility conversation, but it is about a self-preservation. And if we're always being told that you'll be looked after by someone else, this notion is that the conversation doesn't come to the forefront of who is that someone else and, and what are the plans in place and can I really trust that? I mean, even stepping away from emergencies, when we're told um, on a plane um, that you'll be uh, disembarked last and someone will come get you. Now, mm-hmm. I've had the experience of being forgotten about. It's unintentional, mm-hmm. but... It happens. And so recognizing that when we take our needs into consideration, we also need to take them to, to um, I think, be a strong word, forcing um, these organizations to, to open up their, their considerations. So certainly things like if the warning systems are in place, are they going to consider how to adapt warning systems for people with a disability who may need more time you know these Mm -hmm. sorts of things of can you sign up um and this is something you know i'm just um uh ad-libbing here which is you know can you sign up to the emergency uh systems registering that you're a person with a disability so that you're actually getting information 
in enough time to be able to enact your plan. So these are sorts of things that I think, as you said, we need to be taking them to first responders, to the government, um, and then also working out for ourselves, if those don't exist, what do we do? My name is Joetha Gupta, and with me today is Ness Murby, Paralympian, and also the creator and the inspiration behind a new AMI miniseries, a short video series that looks at emergency preparedness. Ness, you've had a bit of lived experience with surviving an emergency. I think, you know, we've all had some kind of an emergency crop up in our lives. Uh, Tell me a little bit about what happened to you. Thanks. Yeah, I think um, often um, I've uh, been partial to think of, you know, emergencies over there. Um, But then when I, in hindsight, I've reflected back on on my life, I realized I've I've lived through a, a fair few natural emergencies and Part of my um, my response to them uh, is um, credited to the people around me and, and their reactions and responses. So I grew up in um, Australia, but moved on to um, Hong Kong. And in Hong Kong, there are natural um, emergencies that crop up that are part of everyday life that I, I wasn't aware of in Australia. So my first experience, my first exposure to um, a natural uh, emergency was that of flooding. And my memory is such that my mum picked me up from school and we walked home every day and with the torrential rain, there was flooding. And we had to walk, there was no other way to, to get home, buses couldn't run through the flood. And so I remember my mum my was very calm and, and matter of fact about it. And as we walked and, and going past driveways, water gushing, she just took my hand, held it tight, um, and, and said, we need to be very um, uh, intentional with our steps. We, we need to be firm and grounded. And that's how we, we made it home. And I realized there was her response to an emergency. And, and what that first taught me was, oh, I didn't need to be afraid. To me, it seemed obvious that we would make it through. It was a 30-minute walk home. Um, usually, and it took quite a bit longer with the floods. From that, another factor in in Hong Kong is typhoons. So mm-hmm. being inside our apartment, and um, I'm I've been uh, visually impaired my entire life. So you know, suddenly um, you've done floods, you've got a typhoon, and there my my sister was actually um, yelling, uh, "Whoa! An air conditioning unit just blew by the window." And I sort of thought, huh. Now, there was her sort of shock and interest because she's a kid as well. And my parents' response was, okay, it's time to get away from the windows. We need to tape them with an X and we're going to just stay away from the windows. And so I realized their response is something that carried through to me. And that's something that with this series, I recognize is something I can pass on. The idea that there is always a response. Um, Mm -hmm. There is always a choice, and that is going to help um, us as individuals keep our focus, keep um, out of that that panic mode. We have a response. Mm -hmm. We have a calm. And, I mean, that that was my my first uh, experience. You know, since then, um, you know, you go from something like that that's dramatic to something more mundane, but is it, which is power outages. I've been in extreme weather conditions um, with power outages, whether it's been extreme cold and needing to then find a place to warm up 
or extreme heat and needing to keep myself but also my guide dog um, cool with, with wet towels. You know, and, and happen chance I've, I've been in an earthquake, a tsunami, and, and bushfires. Um, so I've kind of, you know, collected uh, the, 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 the collector cards edition of those, but realizing that I've never really looked at them as, as quite all dramatic events. And I think that's because my first exposure was one of calm response and action. Mm. I love that because one of the things I wanted to talk to you about was how we have conversation with kids about emergencies in a way that we don't want to spook children about emergencies. But especially if you're the parent of a child who is blind or partially sighted, you want to impress upon them, I would imagine, the need for emergency preparedness, especially given that the person has a disability. We talked earlier about how that doesn't necessarily mean that you're disadvantaged or helpless, but it does mean that the disability needs to be factored in. So if one were a parent, uh, how would one have those conversations with their children? 100%. It's really important to um, impress upon um on kids that, yeah, you're not at a disadvantage, but you do need to consider your individuality in this. And I think the conversation that that needs to be um, being had is one of calm and let's talk about different courses of action. So this, uh, you know, role playing to an extent, uh, literally the aspect of having a conversation. So saying to um, our kids, if this was to happen, how do you think you would feel? What do you think mm-hmm. we could do? And, and then also, you know, this idea of, of leading with, with calm. And calm is not something that um, just, you know, we, we can just create. I, I recognize that. And I think the idea of if you can relax under pressure, you can really overcome any difficulty. And so the way we do that is, um, you know, with, with mindfulness practices, um, this idea of, what are all my options? And if we're beginning to feel um, in a gridlock, asking ourselves, is that so? And when we do that for ourselves, we're also able to do that for our kids. And mm-hmm. that means that our kids aren't taken down a catastrophizing avenue. Mm-hmm. I thought you were going to say, um, get the kids to watch or listen to the videos that we're putting up on AMI.ca oh, well, to, to you course. know, to prepare. I mean, I, <laughs> You're right uh, to have explicit, you know, <laughs> explicit uh, um, to have, a, you know, a, a reference here. Certainly get them to watch the, the videos. I think um, I would suggest having conversation first because we are dealing with um, some extreme situations uh, in the videos. But certainly it, it's the, the videos themselves will also help provoke conversation. And I think the reason why um, I talk a lot about conversation is because these videos are a phenomenal foundation and, and really help us to recognize the different thoughts that we need to be having. And then mm-hmm. I think the accountability needs to come to each of us of what do we do from there? So certainly, please get out there, watch the AMI Emergency Service um, as series. <clears throat> the, the series is available at AMI.ca on the AMI-TV app um, and uh, the AMI YouTube channel. And Mm -hmm. I think that it's really going to spark some phenomenal forethought. I think so, too. I mean, it really got me thinking when I started to watch them. There's a number of these videos up already. I think more are on their way. Tell me a little bit about your video making process, because I would imagine you put all this together 
if not entirely independently, then mostly independently, take us behind the scenes, Ness. Talk to me about the research, the writing, the conceptualizing, and how did you work on this in the middle of a pandemic? Great question. Um, first off, I'd like to start by saying uh, this wasn't a, a solo act at all. Um, AMI um, came together with this concept and recognized the necessity for the series and, and took it over to, to Blink Agency, who I then collaborated with. And we did indeed put it together during the, the pandemic. Um, for, for me, the, the research factor came into really wanting to be informed about the various aspects of each emergency from my personal perspective um, and also the perspective of, of others out there with disabilities and the experts. Um, that being said, uh, Blink Agency and AMI did a, a phenomenal job um, putting together um, a final product of, of scripting and uh, the video content it's, itself. Um, it certainly did pose a challenge, but I think um, on the other hand also brought it to the forefront of doing this during a pandemic. It really meant we had to take into consideration so much more. And uh, I think it brought us all together to have a, a personal investment in the series. I would imagine. Now, look, I'm taping this show from the comfort of my home and I'm safe and well out of everyone's way at that. Uh, what about you when you're when you're putting together a video like this or you're putting together a project like this? It, I would imagine, by definition, requires a, a greater degree of interaction than, say, putting together the pulse on AMI-audio. How did you navigate the pandemic? How did you navigate keeping everybody safe? So a lot of the pre-work was done from home um, in terms of collaborating um, and doing uh, test reads and, and uh, scripts. When it came to the actual filming, everyone was wearing um, uh, protective uh, gear in terms of masks and, and sanitizing. And then I was the only person uh, behind the, the, the desk um, who would take off my mask to actually do the recordings. Um, it, it was a lot more to take into consideration. Uh, we had to actually pause some of the project um, when the pandemic was, I guess, at a point where there was to be no, um, no contact and really had to you know, reschedule and sit around that. I think part of our desire to, to make this happen was recognizing the importance for the, the show itself and to make sure it, it gets out there. Yeah, and I think what we've been trying to talk about a lot today is the why it's important to watch something like this and listen to the the videos, uh, the who should listen. We've covered that a lot. We've we've even talked about the the how. What we haven't really gotten to do is the what. So, uh, which is probably one of the first things I should have asked you. But just give us a sense of the setup here. I mean, how long is each of these videos? What are the topics that you're planning to cover? Um, you know, is it helpful to have a, I felt I should have had a notepad and pen or kept my laptop handy so I could jot down notes. I didn't do that. Would you recommend having a, some kind of a writing implement handy so you could take some notes? Yeah, I think that's a, a great idea. Um, so it's a 20 episode series um, and it's being released in, in a staggered segments. Each episode lasts for between two and five minutes. We're covering aspects of the emergencies themselves as well as um, the elements of what you can do to be prepared. So things such as varied kits that you can put together to have in preparation, you know, documents that you might need, as well as covering each individual um, emergencies. So there's one on uh, fires, there's one on earthquakes. There's also one on um, service animals. And mm -hmm. that's something that is very um, 
dear to me. I, I do have a, a guide dog. Um, actually, this is my, my second guide dog. And one of the reasons that I was a big advocate of making sure that we're taking into consideration our service animals is that in 2011, when I was in the um, uh, Great Tohoku um, earthquake and tsunami, my guide dog was with me. And uh, he unfortunately um, came away with post-traumatic stress disorder and, and wound up being retired um, because of his experience going through the earthquake and, and the aftershocks. Mm-hmm. And part of that aspect really um, brings home to me that, yeah, we need to be covering each episode in, in, in its individuality. So certainly get in there, take it you know, one step at a time. There are going to be 20 episodes perhaps watching, you know, one or two or three, you know, at a time. And you can always go back to them, certainly making um, note, whether it's, um, you know, using an accessible device or um, putting pen to paper um, about the things that are uh, the basics of the emergencies and, and how to respond, but then also thinking about what you might personally need in such a situation. Ness Murphy, it's always a pleasure to speak to you. And I find that Time flies by so fast. I blinked and it was over. But thank you so much for being on the program. Thank you. It is certainly a pleasure. And I really appreciate you um, being on board with, with getting the word out on this series. This series is it's a phenomenal piece of work. AMI, Blink Agency, they did a phenomenal job. And you know, we really look forward to, to getting it out and um, available to, to everyone. So jump on. AMI.ca, AMI-TV app, and the AMI YouTube channel, the AMI Emergency Series. That was Ness Murphy, Paralympian and the host of the AMI Emergency Series. You can find the AMI Emergency Series, a set of about 20 short videos, which we're gradually releasing on our website, AMI.ca, on the AMI-TV app, or on the AMI YouTube channel. Definitely worth a watch. If you missed my conversation with Ness Murphy and you want to go back and listen to some of it or even all of it, you can find the podcast on your favorite podcast platforms. As always, don't forget to like, rate, and subscribe and tell your friends about us. I hope you'll head on over to ami.ca forward slash on the pulse. As I said off the top of the program in my monologue, I'm one of those people that does panic in an emergency. I'm one of those people who would probably benefit from watching these videos. And I'm also one of those people that, having gone through a couple of emergency situations, never really thought to make the connection of using those experiences as someone with a disability to leverage it into something that might get a conversation started in the community. I can only say that Ness Murphy has done us all a world of good because Ness realized that his experiences of living with emergencies and dealing with them and surviving them is a way for all of us to start to prepare mentally, but also in very tangible ways by having an emergency kit, by making sure our smoke alarms and detectors work, by doing all of these things that they talk about in the video so that we can stay safe, so that our pets and our service animals can stay safe if we use them, so that our our friends and loved ones can stay safe as well. So do check those out. I really hope that everyone is keeping safe during the pandemic. It's been good to be with you today. The technical producer for The Pulse is Nasreen Abdul-Majid. Andy Frank is the manager for AMI-audio. And, of course, Paula Deneen is our technical supervisor. 
thanks a lot for lending us your ear. We've really appreciated having you on the program. The Pulse will be back again with more very soon. Have a wonderful rest of your day. This was an AMI podcast. For more accessible media, visit AMI.ca. Hello, I'm Sean Priest. Join me monthly for Sean of the Shed, where I introduce you to all the technology that can be so useful to us as blind or partially sighted people. Find Sean of the Shed wherever you find all your podcasts.